going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and uh, we're going to begin at verse number 39, but let me, uh, 38 rather, and before we do the reading, I just want to make a few comments, it's obviously a long chapter, um, a little cumbersome to read uh, 40 some odd verses for today, so I'm going to kind of uh, get you up to speed to where we're going to be reading from. First of all, uh, we're talking about David and Goliath, and uh, we read last week the first 11 verses, and we're going to start... Uh, thinking about the verses following that this morning. In the following verses, beginning in verse 12 and following, the father sends his son David to go and visit his three oldest brothers that are on the battlefield going against the Philistines. And what a beautiful picture that is, isn't it? The father sends the son. Doesn't it remind us of God the Father sending the Son? And what is the Son delivering to, to the brethren and to the soldiers, to the captains there? He's delivering them bread. Just like God the Father sent the Son. And what is the Son bringing us? The bread of life. Praise the Lord for that. David, while coming to the battlefield, overhears Goliath's defiant call. When he says, I defy the armies of Israel, which becomes very disturbing to David, and we'll talk more about that. David actually seems to get very anxious about it and wants to do something about this Philistine giant. And when his attitude is presented, like, we've got to do something about this, his brothers try to dissuade him from going ahead with it, thinking, well, this is way out of your league, David. What are you doing? What are you thinking? You're a proudful young man, etc., etc. And David has to remind them, and others that would have been listening, that as a shepherd boy, he had, or a shepherd young man, he had destroyed a lion and a bear that had sought to attack his sheep. Just like our Lord Jesus watches over his sheep, David provides for us a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus, and he's informing them that as he protected them, so will he do when he steps on the battlefield and go against Goliath. Now read with me, beginning at verse number 38. It should be on the overhead. As I read along, do so with me. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. He tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I have not tested them. Well, the King James says, I have not proved them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come with me to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. We want to all say amen, don't we? Verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That was David's whole purpose. That the earth would know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51, Then David ran. He stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. How many of you have ever been interested in boxing, ladies? Probably none of you. But there is such a thing that is known, and maybe some of the guys might know of it. It's called the tail of the tape. What the tail of the tape is, is it's, it's a boxing term that means an objective comparison between two combatants. So, in other words, we're getting the statistics out about these men. What kind of physical features do the men have? One of them would be how tall he is. One of them would be how much he weighs. Another one would be the wingspan or the length of the arm for the sake of striking the other opponent. Well, when we come to David and Goliath and we look at the tail of the tape, we obviously see a stark difference between Goliath and David. And here are some of them. First of all, Goliath is gigantic. David would be average height, which probably would be, in those days, maybe 5'8", 5'10", possibly at the most, but that would have been about the average height of a person back in those days. Another difference between the two, that Goliath was an older individual. David was young. So young that he would probably have been under the age of 20. Now, why do I say that he was under the age of 20? Because if you could not serve in Jehovah's army unless you were over 20 years of age. So it's likely then that David, even though he was a sheep carer, a shepherd, nevertheless was not able to go into the warfare with the rest of the army because of his age. Goliath had numerous battle victories under his belt. David had none. The most he could say is he fought against a lion and a bear and he killed them. As far as the equipment was concerned, Goliath has a full set of shining armor. Whereas David has simply a sling and stones. 
Goliath is very, very self-confident. And rightfully so. He was a battle warrior. He had years of experience. He had many of victories that he could have boasted about, certainly. Whereas David, his boast is in what? In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. There's a lot of practical lessons that we can learn out of this battle between David and Goliath. One, we see that Goliath's confidence was in himself. Whereas David's confidence was not in himself, but in the Lord. Hudson Taylor says, The greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength. Let's be careful to not mistake sheer human confidence with a hundred percent reliance on God. I mean, it's natural for us to want to lean on our abilities and trust them. Trust our intellect, trust our experience, trust our judgment, trust our skill, whatever it may be. That's a natural thing to do. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, we need to, like someone said, God will never trust anyone who trusts themselves. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. They thought David was a fool for stepping on the battlefield and making this boast. You come to me with sword and staves, I come to you in the name of the Lord. How significant was that? David, above anyone else it seems, had that confidence, not in himself. He had never fought any human being that we know of. And yet here, he's willing to go against this mammoth individual. So we do have to be careful that we not trust, as the Scripture says, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, verse 26. Martin Luther wrote that beautiful hymn, A Mighty Fortress in Our God, and in one of the stanzas he says, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same, for He must win the battle. That's where David's confidence laid. It was in the Lord believing that if God is for us, who can be against us? He was enraged. He was incensed that this Philistine would curse the armies of Israel, and particularly the living God. And here he's among all these army veterans, Israelites, and not one of them pipes up. Not one of them has the courage and the communion, which really produces the courage that David had, to think that he could possibly defeat this gigantic individual. It has been said that maybe the very central verse in the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8, which says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. Well, David wasn't confiding in himself. He wasn't even dependent on his histor- historical action of putting that bear and lion to death. He was really trusting the Lord in the Lord's name for the victory. David had some 
obstacles. Rather than him being rooted on and cheered on by his family members there and by other soldiers, saying, great, we've got somebody that's willing to step up for us. Somebody that's willing to go on the limb on our behalf. It was just the opposite. When David hinted and opened his mouth that he could go against this Goliath individual, we have some opposers. Eliabib, Eliab, I guess you would pronounce it, would be his big brother was taunting him. Saul discouraged him. He says, you're too young and you're inexperienced. The big brother says, what are you doing here? You should be taking care of the sheep. You don't belong out here. Give us the food and go back. No, that wasn't David's persuasion. And Goliath derided him, mocking him, saying, Are you kidding me and all the Israelites that this is who you're sending out to fight me? This is an insult to me. I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. You're no competition for me. You know, Paul the Apostle was strongly advised to not go to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21. Do you remember that? When Agabus came out with Paul's garment there and, and he held it and he said, whoever this is, is going to be in trouble in the coming days and going to Jerusalem. And when they heard that prophecy of Agabus, they tried to persuade Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Don't go to Ch- Jerusalem because that's what's going to befall you there. What does Paul say? Chapter 21, verse 13. What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? I am ready not only to be bound at Jerusalem, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. There's conviction. There's confidence. There's trust in the Lord. It's hardly, isn't it, ever advisable to go against the counsel of a multitude. I often say that when people want to know whether they should do this or that, or can they do something or not, first thing I say to people is, number one, seek the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Get in the presence of God. Commune with Him over this particular matter. Secondly, in a close second, is seek the godly counsel of others. It's usually very unwise for someone to make a solo decision and having no supporters behind them. There are exceptions, and this would be one of them. The third thing, though, I would say after first seeking God, then seeking godly counsel, is just basically using practical wisdom. Count the cost. I think oftentimes we check our brains out and we think that we're going to get some sort of a divine revelation of what we're supposed to do. And like sort of Gideon, we're going to put our fleece out and see if it's going to turn dewish and the ground dry and vice versa. And that we're going to get some very clear-cut communication from the Lord. That's not usually the case. And I'm not saying that we depending that we depend upon ourselves, but the Lord does expect us to use to use the faculties that He has given us sometimes in our decision making, and that should play a part in our decision making is gathering all the facts, assessing the matter, then making a determination. After first seeking the Lord, seeking godly counsel, and then coming up with a conclusion after your personal assessment of it. Well, anyway, 
David had opposes those that objected to him going, but the strength that he had in the Lord, and that's why I say this is an exception. It would normally be advisable that he listened to these trained men, men that were looking out for his betterment. But David saw what the others could not see. And sometimes there may be an individual who can see with an eye of faith, with the Word of God deeply embedded in their heart, with a communion with God by the Holy Spirit, that is something very special. And I think David sort of fits that character. He was, after all, a man after God's own heart. So when he heard this Philistine defying the name of the Lord, how enraged he was over that. What a reaction that was like that. You're not going to talk about my God that way. Do you realize that we are the covenant people of God? And we're going to do everything we can to defend the name of the Lord. And David steps up to the plate. Now Israel, in their forces, they had quite a bit of manpower. They weren't no feeble bunch. First of all, Saul himself, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. He must have stuck out among the forces in the army. Secondly, Jonathan, who has become David's armor bearer in the 14th chapter, he slew 20 Philistines. And then you have Abner, who's the captain of the host. He's described, quote, as being a valiant man. Why didn't any of them step up? Where were they when the cry was made by this Philistine's boast? They don't seem to step up, do they? Nevertheless, there is one that does. But in sending him, apparently they were convinced, or Saul was convinced, all right, we'll let you go, but I'm going to clothe you with my armor. Again, this might be Saul's spirit, again, uh, that pops up over and over again. He's looking for compliments. At the end of this whole story, you know that when they return uh, back, that the, the uh, Israelite women are saying that, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, uh, thousands, and David his ten thousands. As soon as Saul heard that, what? Like, they're giving David more glory than me. I'm the king. David is just a young, ruddy shepherd boy. And they're praising him. He has slain the ten thousands. They were right. But the point is, Saul, pride was hurt. So Saul wanting to clothe David was likely, he wants to say, when you get the victory, if you do get the victory, I'm going to take a part of the glory that will come with that. David didn't at first object to trying on the outfit that was provided to him. But David did not feel comfortable in that. He, he, he has to say, I've never tested this. I can't go on the battlefield with a garment, with a clothing, with the equipment that you provide to me. I have no experience with it. I'm a novice with all of this stuff. And in essence, too, he was saying, I really don't need this. He had a source of power that Saul didn't know anything about. David didn't want to go in the strength of human power. He didn't want to go in his own 
uh, might or the might that someone would provide him. His full confidence was in the Lord. This is a real challenge to us. And as I mentioned last week about, we have our Goliaths in our life. I think most of us have some kind of a Goliath that we're fight, fighting and facing in our lives. Now, our Goliath may not be a nine and a half foot individual or a gigantic problem, but it could be something that stands in the way of your future. And it's an obstacle and it's a hindrance. And you're, you know that you've got to go through this trial. You've got to defeat what is opposing you. And you're thinking in all kinds of different directions. Can I do this? I would say this, brothers and sisters. If we have a heart like David's, a man after God's or a woman after God's own heart, with God, everything is possible. And I don't want to put that out as some kind of a prosperity health and wealth sort of a slogan. But I do want to say that when one is in communion with God, there's almost no limits to what can be accomplished. Maybe somebody's going through a divorce or having a difficulty that seems insurmountable. It's a Goliath issue that can't be defeated. None of the Israelites thought that there was any hope here. But David, a man after God's heart, does. Let us be people after God's own heart. And not quit, not take a losing stance, but rather believe that God is able to accomplish the things through us that He promises that He can do. I never tested this. I never proved this, Saul. I can't wear this outfit. You know, you can't let others force you in being what you're not. This is what you call manipulation, I guess you could say. Sometimes people mean it for good. No one would want to be called a manipulator. I think we sometimes can step over the boundary line when we're trying to minister to somebody, teach somebody, maybe disciple somebody. But you know, the bottom line, it has to come from the Lord. I want... I want my heart to be after God's heart in such a way that my heart is being moved. And maybe my brother or sister is giving me some spiritual food that is motivating me to be more after the Lord than I would be otherwise. So don't let others force you in being what you can't be or what you aren't. Maybe you're not cut out to do that. You know, manipulators love to manipulate. Don't let yourself be fooled. You may be on the shy, modest side and you may have a companion, a relative, a friend, whoever, who could have a personality that's very domineering. My wife often warns me about that myself because I can sometimes be a little aggressive about trying to motivate people or to give them some ideas that I think I have for them where she'll often remind me, let God deal with them. Let them do this on their own. And I need to back off oftentimes and I say, you're right, I do have that tendency. Maybe you have that tendency or maybe you're the one that can be easily pushed in different directions how mindful we have to be of that. We have to be who we are in the Lord. It's been put very bluntly this way, and I don't know if you can follow this, but I think it sort of summarizes what I'm trying to communicate here. Be what you are and not what you ain't. Because if you ain't what you are, then you are what you ain't. Did you get that? Excuse my bad English. 
But that's how it's written. That's how it was said. Be what you are and not what you ain't. Because if you ain't what you are, then you are what you ain't. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you're putting on a costume that is really not you on the inside. It looks like this is how you want to be on the outside, but inwardly it doesn't match the outside. So be what you are and not what you ain't, because if you ain't what you are, then you are what you ain't. Don't put that in your notes, by the way. Now, Goliath has this massive shining armor. David, David just has a sling shot in five stones. Interesting that the scriptures give details sometimes and you say, who cares how many stones he had? You know, he gathered up a bunch of stones or he took a few stones out of the brook. But it's very specific. It mentions five stones. Not just five stones, but five smooth stones. Stones that had been in the rippling brook where the brook water in its stream overflowed these stones and made them smooth. Easy to handle. Well curved, you could say. Those are the ones that he selected. He kept them in his shepherd's bag. Do we have a shepherd's bag, by the way? Do we have ammunition with us? Are we prepared to give a reason of the hope that's in us? With meekness and fear, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What kind of a shepherd bag do we have in our life? What's inside of me will come outside of me. So it's so important that we have, like a good shepherd. What would a shepherd have a shepherd's bag for? He probably was where his lunch was kept. And it was also a place where he would normally have kept stones. For what reason? In case any wolves come in the area. I bet David knew how to use that slingshot so well when there was any kind of ravenous animal that was coming to affect his sheep in his fold that bingo, they got hit. He knew how to use it. So here he's going up against a giant and his choice of weapon is the slingshot with the five smooth stones. I had said last week that as we started in the 16th chapter of Samuel, that David is anointed and the Spirit of God comes upon him as it departs from Saul. In David, the next chapter about David is that he's going in battle against Goliath. Typical of the Lord Jesus. That he, when he received the Spirit at his water baptism, what does he do? He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he fights against who? The giant of giants of mankind. Against the devil himself. The one that was standing in the way like Goliath against the Israelites. So was the devil standing between us as an obstacle. Five stones. When the devil tempted Jesus, the first thing he said, can you turn these stones into bread? You're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. What a good approach to take. Seems like a very appealing suggestion. What does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
Where does he quote that? From Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. The second one was when the devil took him up onto the highest pinnacle of the temple and said, cast yourself down for the angel will take charge over thee and won't allow your foot to get injured or dashed. Jesus responds and says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Where does that come from? He quoted the scripture, Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. And then the last one, the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I'll give you all of these if you will just fall down and worship me. Wow. All the kingdoms of the world? What a proposal. We have a timeshare, and... uh, when we went to Mexico a few years ago, we were told, don't talk to anybody because they'll try to snag you and they'll rope you in. Well, I let myself get talked into getting this free thing for $90. It was a whole day thing. You could eat all the food you want. You could enjoy all the different things that they had at this particular resort. I think it was for both of us. Well, guess what? They wanted to sell us a permanent place on that resort. Well, when we had to go through this, apparently, to get all of these amenities, and one of them was going out in the boat, and I forget all the other different things that we were, that was included in this $90 fee, which seemed like a great deal, but the deal was, you've got to sit down with us. Well, the first person, you know, gave us the seal spiel, and we I said, well, you know, we're really not interested. We've, we're, we're just here for this and that. And okay, okay. I, she just kept trying to persuade us, trying to persuade us. And I, I tried to get my point across. We're really not interested. So what does she do? She steps out. She gets another, another person. I say the same thing. You know, I, I want to talk to my children before I do this. And I, 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 you know, just trying to get out of this. Then they go and get a bigger deal. Guy comes in, you know, all dooted up. You know, he's ready to like... All right, folks, I got the deal of your life. And I had to lower the boom and say, look it, I told the first two people, I have to say the same thing to you. I'm not interested. We're not going to take it. Finally, he, he got it. He was ripping mad that they didn't succeed. So, here the devil tries one temptation. Turn these stones into bread. Cast yourself down and prove how the angels will take care of you. And now the last one, the big deal, all of the kingdoms. How did even the devil be able to do that? You tell me. I don't quite get it. But it just shows you how much power the devil must have had to be able to show him all the kingdoms of the world and say, I'll give you all of them. If you, Boy, what an easy way to get the kingdom. But Jesus does become the... The, 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 uh, you could say the inheritor of the kingdoms of the world, but how did he get it? He got it by the cross. See, the devil's trick was, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to be put to shame. I'll just give them to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And what does Jesus say? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou worship. And where did he get that from? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. Deuteronomy is a part of what? Four other books. All five of those books are considered the Pentateuch, the Torah. Five books, five stones. Five books. Jesus quoted only one in His slaying of the devil. Because it says, and the devil departed from Him after that last quotation. 
David takes one stone, puts it in the sling. The sling goes round and round as the song goes. And there goes the stone. And that one stone sunk into the forehead. And I like to think of it when, it, when Goliath landed, rather than being knocked backwards. I like to think of him bowing frontwards. Just like every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're going to defy the armies of the living God. You're going to pay tribute to Him involuntarily. You're going to fall down and you're going to be in a posture of worship. Anyway, the five smooth stones representative of the Torah. And Jesus only needed one book, one of the five. David only needed one of the five stones to slay that giant. David's cry was, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who shall defy? Do you have a who in your life? A who that's trying to hinder you? A who that's trying to create doubt in you? Or who that's trying to say, what are you living for? Why don't you change your ways? Why don't you go back to the ways you used to be? Why don't you give up this Bible stuff? Why don't you stop serving the Lord? You're not going anywhere. It's not really making a difference. Who are you listening to? Be careful about those who's. Be careful about the cry of a Goliath that's shouting out. Who is this? One that's trying to defy the armies of the living God. What shall we say then, Paul says, to these things, if God be for us? Who can be against us? Who's going to defy the armies of the Israel of God? Who? How about us? Who's going to be against us? Notice these who's. He that speared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who, verse 35, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Wow, that's how we respond to the who's, to the Goliaths, to the ones that threaten us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is He that condemns? It is Christ that died. Who is it that's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. That's the kind of battle we can do, brothers and sisters. We can take the Word of God and believe the Lord. Years ago when I was doing open-air preaching downtown in Worcester on the Common... I had a lot of very interesting exchanges with varieties of people. Some good, a lot of them bad. And on this particular day, I was all alone. Nobody was with me that particular day. And I'm preaching the Word. And then there was four young men. 
that came around the area. They were about as far as maybe from me to the last pew, possibly, in distance. Maybe about ten yards, about. And uh, I saw them coming. I sensed that it was going to be trouble. Nevertheless, I'm still preaching the Word, and I'm trying particularly not to eye them, because I did not want to provoke any sort of disturbance. Nevertheless, they started in on accusing, uh, vile, profane, uh, vulgar language, one after another. This was going on for like ten minutes uninterrupted. They would just kept badgering me and badgering the gospel and, and, and just saying all kinds of vulgarities over and over again. And finally, I, I felt the Lord stirred up my heart. And I, as I said, I wasn't looking at them for, the, for, for the, all that time. But then finally, I just turned to them. And I said, Hey guys, listen up. The Bible says God is not mocked. I says, God is able by the snap of my fingers to stop your mouth. Now, I don't know why I said that. But I, I mean, I would just... Like Paul in Acts chapter 16 when... When the woman was crying out and she cursed the devil in her. Well, anyway, I just had a strong urge to want to just silence them and just warn them. God is not mocked. And I literally snapped my fingers and said, He's able to stop your mouths right now. And God is my witness that within five seconds, this musclehead guy comes out of nowhere. It's the summertime. It was in the month of June, I remember. It was a hot day. He had his shirt off. His muscles, like a Goliath, were just busting out. And somehow he picked up the atmosphere and what was going on. And the four guys, I I would say they were around 19, 21 in that range. This particular fellow was probably about 25 or 7, something like that. Anyway, I couldn't hear what he said, but he put his finger in the faces of each one of them. And the language must have been something like this. I want you guys to shut up. I want you to listen to that guy and I don't want to hear a peep out of you. And then he sat down right next to them. And for 20 minutes, uninterrupted, those boys sat like first day in kindergarten class. And I just said, wow, a miracle. I think I experienced that day. My opinion. What are the odds of that happening? Of me, I, I don't, would never normally do something like, at the snap of my finger, I said, God is able to stop. Stop your mouth. And within seconds, they silenced. So how did that happen? It's God, brothers and sisters. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now that, of course, is a very unusual experience that I have. Maybe any of us would ever have, or I will probably never have one like that the rest of my life. But I just think that we need to sometimes realize we can't prove the garment of Saul's. But God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That our God is a strong God. He's an able God. And we need to trust in Him and not in ourselves. And it's amazing the great things that we can do for God if we would just kind of get out of the way. 
get in communion with Him and see the Lord work in our lives in ways that we have to say, to God be the glory. It's not I. It's Christ who lives in me who's doing these things that I could never do in my own power. And I know that you have tests and trials in the workplace, in your neighborhood, or wherever it is. Just cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And we know how God came through in the clutch moment here with David and with the armies of Israel who are in suspense. The clock is running out. Time is coming when the battle is going to rage and the Philistines are going to take us over unless we can put a man up against a Goliath and defeat him. David says, I'm the man because I'm the man after God's own heart. And the victory became not merely David's but the whole armies of God. And what a testimony we can be to one another if we're willing to just put our trust in Him and to believe God. When I read the book of Revelation, it it describes the people of God obviously under very adverse circumstances. And one of the strongest types of language that the book of Revelation uses is things like we are more than overcomers. We are conquerors through Him that loved us. It describes us as those who have victory because of what? Because of the blood of the Lamb. None none get credit for the victory. Do you think David would say, yes, I did it? Uh Uh-uh. He would have given full credit to God. He says, you come to me with your equipment. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. It wasn't even the... The sling, it wasn't the smooth stone. It was the Lord that was in the whole thing. And we can say, like Paul says, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be victorious. And I don't mean victory in the sense that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and have all of these wonderful amenities of life that we're going to be on, on, on Golden Avenue or something of that sort. But I know that if we have God on our side, we're comforted in no matter what we get ourselves into. we just got to trust Him. We have to be like David. And that's the point of this series of the messages of David. He's a man after God's own heart. And that's what you and I too need to be. A man, a woman, a boy, a girl who's after God's own heart. I don't want to have my own thoughts. I want to have His thoughts. And I know I'm the biggest interferer with God's communion with me. I sort of have a barricade around myself. I know I do. And I, and I just don't want to trust Him sometimes. Because I trust more myself than I do Him. And I don't want to admit that. I'm too proud to admit it. I'm too humble to admit it. But I know that there is that attitude that I entertain. And maybe you too have that same plague that you're putting more confidence in yourself than you are with Him. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be people after Your own heart, O God. Thank You for the example, Lord, You provide to us of David. The courage You gave to him. The confidence You gave to him. And ultimately, the victory You gave to him. Lord, help us to be humble people. To be a people with a listening ear. A people, as Jesus says, abide in Me and I in You. As a branch cannot be a fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye that abide in Me. And so, Lord, help us. Could You tell us that without You we can do nothing? 
Lord, help us to trust you and not ourselves. Lord, if anyone here is trusting themselves to get to heaven, Lord, open their eyes and show them the cross of Jesus as being the strength for them to have salvation and assurance before you to become the children of God. Lord, we give you praise and worship for your precious word. Cause each and every one somehow, some way to glean from what they've heard and what they've read that they can apply it in their lives. That, Lord, we may go out more like a David than a Saul today in the days to come. We ask it all, Father, in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.